Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dita Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. We are rolling into 2023, running throughout the country, literally and figuratively. Um, many of our fall races um, have been booked or sold out with Chicago and New York City marathons, but we still have so many great races to choose from, from Twin Cities, Chicago Half Marathon, Detroit, and recently added the South Norwalk Half Marathon and 5K. So if you're interested in jumping on one of our many fall teams, feel free to check out our website at projectpurple.org. We also have many virtual events going on as we speak. We have one in June coming up, which is our Dino's Double. And then later in the summer, we have our Work Harder event. To learn more about all of our virtual events, check out our website. And recently, we just launched our Over the Edge Repelling events in in Hartford, Connecticut coming up in in September. If you're interested in learning more, check out our website at projectpurple.org and follow us on wherever you follow, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, to stay up to date to all the latest and greatest of Project Purple. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest today, coming to us from Garner, North Carolina, just uh, right outside of Raleigh, David Sabio. David, welcome to the Project Purple Podcast. Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out to me. Well, um, the pleasure is all ours. As we were kind of connecting the dots before, you know, this, this podcast has really been you know, now we're going on six years, but it's really been something special for us to connect with people all over the country, um, you know, fighting, surviving, thriving, um, involved in the pancreatic cancer space. And, and we brought people in who, who are outside of pancreatic cancer as well. It's not, it's not always pancreatic cancer people, but, you know, raising stories of inspiration, positivity, talking about cancer, talking about survivor ship and and everything that goes in with with fighting cancer but i know we do focus heavily 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 on pancreatic cancer because that's what our mission is so it's always an honor for us to bring on a survivor and a fighter um so i'm excited to share your journey today with our audience and with that um, as i said this is really the first segment of our podcast is really the guest opportunity to kind of share their journey um, and as i said before we hit record you can go as far back as you want or you can stay as high level as you want as well and sharing that journey with that the microphone is yours david all right well as a survivor it is good to be here <laughs> so um my uh Sort of my challenge kind of has a sort of a soft and a hard beginning. I, I just want to go back a little bit, especially because uh, this disease is very often, you know, described as a silent killer, um, just because it's, it's typically found too late. But uh, starting in 2008, actually, was I had some upper um, abdominal discomfort in the right side. And it was bad enough that I finally was like, I should do something about this. And the doctor at that time wanted to, um, you know, check for an ulcer, check for uh, gallbladder problems, which are all reasonable starts. Um, so we did a number of tests. They all came out fine. And I was sort of, you know, just told like, hey, we can keep an eye on it. Um, you're young, you're healthy, not my typical patient, um, take care. 
And um, so, I mean, you feel good. We at least ruled something out, but that was the end of it. And so over the course of really 10 more years, um, I would get this recurring discomfort, oftentimes around right after Halloween. So I chalk it up to the holidays, which, you know, trying to look at it retrospectively, maybe the diet changes a little bit. I've always been, you know, uh, into my, my health, but you know, there's cookies around the office, cakes and whatnot. But anyway, so it's very easy to go. Oh, maybe I'm just having a little bit of issue with, with the diet change. But, um, I went to see another specialist. You know, a few years later, again, it like, sounds like a gallbladder. So we test the mess out of my gallbladder. It's fine. He's like, well, you're young, healthy, not overweight, and I'm a typical patient. Take care. And um, again, it was good to know that my gallbladder wasn't an issue. And that continued. Um, you know, I went for a few more years. Again, this discomfort came back and I went to another specialist. And the same thing, sounds like a gallbladder. So we test it, it's fine. Um, and same scenario. And I said, I will never go to the doctor again for this ever. Obviously it's nothing because it by the beginning of the, of the following year, post holidays, it kind of symptoms kind of subsided. And again, I'm not saying this, I'm not disparaging any doctors or trying to beat anybody up. It's just, these were observations that I look at, you know, as I look back at what I went through. And, but, you know, I was like, I'm never going to go to the doctor for this again. I told that to my wife and, um, I, I, I didn't, you know, when it would come on, I would just sort of tough it out and, um, and, and move along. Well, come Christmas of 2020, uh, I had been with my sister and brother-in-law, um, and, and wife. We had a great time, um, you know, nice meal, uh, couple of bottles of wine, came home and in the middle of the night, I was brought up out of my sleep with, you know, just not feeling very well, nausea, a little, you know, GI discomfort and um, had a hard time getting back to sleep, um, but eventually sort of settled myself down. When we woke up the next day, I just, I really felt like crap. Um, and, but again, I'm going, this is that thing I always de deal with. And I was like, it's probably the same thing, maybe a glass of wine too much. But through the day, my wife was watching me. She goes, it just seems different. And um, then I started developing sort of a, a cramping pain uh, in my upper chest cavity and made it really kind of tough to breathe. And I was like, ah, it's just gas. Try taking, you know, some remedy for that. It wasn't alleviating it. And um, my wife's like, you should go see a doctor. I was like, no, I'm not seeing a doctor, but it's just, you really need to. And I was like, first of all, it's the holidays. I, I probably won't be seen by the time I do this while I've passed again and it won't matter. So she let it go for a minute, but again, I just felt terrible. And I said, you know what, maybe I should see a doctor. So she grabbed all her insurance stuff, started scrolling through our providers and um, local specialists. And she found a pancreatic specialist, um, and this is only because we went and Googled stuff. Like, what is this going to be? Because we're like, is it? Surely it's not my gallbladder again, but maybe it was. But she found a um, specialist here in Cary and um, said, you should give a call. So I did. And surprisingly, they said, could you come in tomorrow? And I, I said, sure. And so I, I went in, I met with the PA, and 
uh, her initial workup was, well, I don't think it's your pancreas because, you know, she was probably thinking pancreatitis. So she was, I don't think you could talk to me this very easily, but she's like, I don't want to dismiss this. Um, so she did uh, an exam and then she finished with, have you ever had upper endoscopy? I had, and she goes, would you mind doing one? I said, not at all. So I spent New Year's morning um, at the surgeon and we did the upper endoscopy. That surgeon came in, you know, prior to the procedure just to kind of talk over, you know, symptoms. And even he thought, he goes, you present with some odd symptoms, but we're going to go in there and take a look. And afterwards, he said, we don't see anything and said, maybe he suggested possibly like a hematoma on my spleen or something, um, just because now I had this pain in my, my chest cavity on the left side. Um, and that had actually passed by now, you know, um, and it just to inject real quick that hindsight view is, is really just a really bad case of gas, but this is one that was just so that it probably saved my life. So went back to the PA. She's like, Hey, I got results. We didn't see anything. She goes, I don't, I don't want to stop here if that's okay with you. And I was like, well, that's fine. That's actually kind of refreshing. And she goes, I'd like to do some imaging. She goes, we'll do like a CT and possibly an MRI, both, you know, if we can. And so she went and scheduled the CT and it was going to be for just a couple, maybe a week or so later. And um, in the meantime, they also ended up scheduling an MRI. So uh, I was set to do that about um, mid, mid January of 2021. Mm -hmm. So we, I went the day of the CT I'm driving and there's a part of me that's like, oh, I feel fine. I was like, this is probably that same thing. I was like, this is a burden on healthcare. All the stuff is running through my head and I actually started to not go, you know, but I knew, I knew I would take some, some heat from my wife if I did. And she often said, she goes, I, I go to this job. So we have this kind of coverage. And, um, so I, I kept the appointment. And um, did get a result that they said they saw a spot on my pancreas. And that was, of course, worrisome. My MRI had been scheduled for a couple of days later, so I'm definitely going to make this appointment. So um, went to that one. It confirmed about a two and a half centimeter spot on my pancreas right at the neck, between the, you know, right between the head and the tail. And so at this point, my situation was elevated where I did meet the pancreatic specialist. Uh, he goes, we're going to do a um an endoscopic ultrasound and while i'm in there i'm going to take a biopsy so we did that on january 18th 19th i think and um you know he so, talked with my wife later he was like uh i don't feel really good about this but we're going to go in and find out so we did i um was working the evening of January the 20th I was working actually in the evening and while I am I see an email pop up that says hey new results in my chart and I at first just kind of dismissed it because I was busy but then you know and then I thought oh, I should take a look and then I was like no nah, I don't, I don't want to see that you know um because you know I'm already worried enough even though there's this part of me going oh maybe it's just something some weird anomaly but I worked for about another 20 minutes and just like, I can't, I can't stand it. So I, I opened my chart. I, I go to the results and Christine can hear this, the solemn F, F bomb from my office. And she goes, what is it? And I was like, 
I had pancreatic cancer. And she rushes in. You can see the worry on her face. And she's just kind of staring at me, I think, wanting me to do something. She goes, well, don't you have a reaction? And I was like, I don't I don't know what to feel because in my head, it's like, you know, I'm going to die. You know, I mean, Alex Trebek, you know, still a fairly recent thing. My my best friend's mom had just passed away from pancreatic cancer. And so I'm just overwhelmed with these thoughts of I can't believe this and it's, it's all over. So. I. The next morning at work, I kept waiting for the doctor to call. And by noon, I hadn't heard anything. And so I said, well, I, I've got it. I've got it. Even though I know what it is, I've, I've got to hear from somebody. So I called his office. Like, it is a nurse. He calls back immediately. Very apologetic. He was, I didn't even realize the results that hit your my chart. He goes, I'm sure that was pretty tough. But while I have you on the phone, let's talk. And he goes, you realize what this is? This is pancreatic cancer. And um, I know for sure you're going to need chemo, um, but the rest will be up to your doctors. I am recommending you to Duke and um, just give it a few moments while it goes through the bureaucracy of getting established. And you should hear something. If you don't, certainly contact me um, and I'll make sure to, to stay on top of it. And just before we hung up, he says, I, I want to tell you something. He goes, um, I don't get to tell a lot of my patients this. But based on what I can see in the imaging, I feel like you're a candidate for surgery, which will be a big deal. And he goes, I think you have a shot at being cured. I said, I'll take it. That's all the encouragement I need. Um, despite how dreadful I felt, I was like, that's good enough. <clears throat> and it kind of helped change my mindset right then, um, which I found to be a very effective tool through the, the rest of the challenge that came. So... <clears throat> I, um, we weren't hearing from Duke. My wife is very pragmatic. She's a caregiver and she is a, she's very much a worrier. And so she is almost losing it with herself. And so she reaches out also to UNC. She says, we got to hear something. And so we ended up with an appointment with UNC as well. We figured a second opinion wouldn't hurt anyway. I met with the surgical oncologist there. And, you know, again, he confirmed what I have. He talked about the possibilities, the um, possibly doing surgery, going to need chemo. But he has a, well, I felt it was a, a kind of conservative approach with, because um, I think we'll start you on chemo, see if we can shrink the tumor, see where we're at in a few months, um, whether we continue it, and then we'll maybe see if you're a candidate for surgery. And so um, we left with at least some little tool in our developing arsenal and, um, and, and, you know, just still hoping to hear from Duke. Well, eventually I do hear from Duke. We set that up just a few days later. And just because this one was scheduled, you know, better, I got to meet the entire oncology team. You know, I mean, it's the surgeon, the, the nurses, the uh, chemo oncologist, everyone. So it was a full day. Um, but we went and spoke with, um, Dr. Kevin Shaw and he went through a full gamut of all what this meant, what he thought he could do, what all the possible outcomes could be. But he was confident that he goes, based on what we're seeing in imaging, he thought, I think we can go in and get this now. He goes, you're a healthy 
young man. Well, young is relative, but he's, um, I think while you're strong, if we can do it, it's better than knocking you down with chemo and then trying to have you do a hard recovery um, of surgery. And he goes, we'll do some more imaging, but we um, met with the oncologist, I mean, the uh, chemo oncologist too, who also thought, um, I like this plan. He goes, I agree. I think if we can get it out now, um, we'll take better advantage of, of, of your current situation. So we go home, obviously me and Christine are weighing two very different opinions. One that's very aggressive and let's do it now. Another one that's like, let's kind of approach it more subtly. And um, you're kind of hoping for one solid answer. Um, but we uh, we debated it back and forth. But um, Christine kind of eventually asked, how do you feel? I was like, well, there's this kind of feeling of like, just get the alien out of me, you know? And I said, I know it, it's all scary regardless of what we do, but I feel, I like the idea. I like the more aggressive approach. I want, I want the tumor out. And especially while I can apparently take advantage of, of recovering better. And, um, you know, there's still a little hemming and hawing, but, um, we, we made the decision and, and went with, um, with Duke. And so, we went back, did some more imaging, and had a preliminary surgery date scheduled. Um, but then the imaging came back and they saw a spot on my lung. And so this sort of put the brakes on things. We dropped the dates, like we have to do a little more testing. Because they're like, if this is metastases, we're going to have to start doing chemo and start treating you systemically. So um, this was... This was, you know, um, we were a little crestfallen here. And so we did the extra testing and we were waiting for results. And in fact, we were at the lawyer's office updating our, our wills and whatnot. And the phone call came and, and nicely, it was actually my surgical oncologist. And he goes, I have great news. Um, looked at all the imaging. We've spoken with the specialists and this spot of your lung, we think is a, a hemorrhotoma, which is a disorganized mass mm -hmm. of cells. He goes, this is great because we can proceed with, with surgery. We'll keep an eye on this, but, um, let's, let's move forward and again, take advantage of the opportunity we have. So surgery was scheduled for February 10th and, you know, the, um, so you don't look forward to surgery, but this was this was kind of exciting because you felt like, hey, this is the first big step in in this um, possibly you know beating this this, um, this this terrible diagnosis. And the the sad part though is we're at the height of COVID, um, so the day of surgery, my wife can't even go; she has to drop me off at the lobby, and that was a pretty painful day with the tears in our eyes. Um, especially for her, because it's, it's been nice to have that support. But um, so I'm, I'm the afternoon um, surgery and I'm in the lobby waiting room for a long time, actually quite a bit longer because the first one before me took even longer. So I started to get anxieties going up, but uh, they finally get me back there. And um, the whole team was, was fantastic. They explained everything, got me prepped. And I felt pretty confident under the circumstances. And um, I mean, at this point, there wasn't really any turning back anyway. So uh, 
woke up later that evening in my room, um, sort of a little bit out of it, but I remember them saying like movement is a good thing. And so when my nurse came in, as I woke up, I said, can we do a lap, you know, around the halls? She's like, <laughs> okay. And so, um, I, I did that and, and made it to my room and, you know, that little bit made me feel like a champ, you know, and, um, that, so that was, you know, the first evening, everything seemed to be fine. And the subsequent, subsequent days, my wife could come to the hospital. I could have one visitor and she came and, and stayed all day until, till uh, until visiting hours were over with the exception mm-hmm. of one night, we had an ice storm. So I was like, please leave early. Don't get stuck out here. Yeah. Durham. So, um, Things were going um, actually pretty good. Um, I was eating okay. Um, you know, that they're really you know, obviously big on make sure you get your nutrition. Uh, I would pick at my food, but I also knew it was important. So I would get down what I could. And um, I, I do remember, I, this is maybe a funny aside, but I, I you know, would like to tell, first of all, my, my wife and just all the caregivers that you have in this, you take full advantage of it. But I remember the point when they have to take the epidural out. And what that means, you also have to go, you have to go urinate on your own. <clears throat> so we finally decide to do this. And of course, the urge comes on to, to, to urinate, but it's, <laughs> I'm still kind of dead feeling and I can't. <laughs> But, you know, you now it starts to get full. You start to almost feel in pain. And so I yeah. I was like, I need to try. And I yeah, I must have stood at the, the toilet for five or ten minutes. And I said, I asked, <clears throat> this kind of called to my wife, Christine, and said, will you do me a favor? I don't know if you remember that old prank where you soak someone's hand in warm water. <laughs> so, so she fills a little tray with warm water. And for 30 to 45 minutes, but it worked. And she stood uh, there with me while we did this and sort of coaxed it out of me. Uh, so it was a relief to me. It certainly was a relief to the nurses because they knew I was doing it on my own. And um, I mean, it just we laugh about it now because it seems so silly, but it was so important and effective. Um, so I, I throw that in just to sort of give the humanity of this kind of situation. Um, so I had to stay in the hospital one extra day because I had ran a low-grade fever, but it was nothing much. That was was good. I got to go home. I'm um, certainly glad to be home. And um, got situated, you know, here in the house um, with the uh, you know, all the amenities I would need to to handle this. And you know, things generally were going okay. But one evening, um, I started have a, a lot of discomfort right in my midsection. I mean, it was, it was very painful. I couldn't rest. And um, I was in my chair. It's kind of one of these anti-gravity chairs. It was very comfortable. And I'm trying to sort of fall asleep. And But my wife just said she was like, I was audibly moaning. And I just felt terrible. And she, she's calling the hospital. It's after hours. I'm like, well, you know, we'll be, have someone in the morning. Just please make another call. And so we did, we got in touch with one the following day, had to go in um, immediately. They had an idea, they did some imaging. And unfortunately, my, my drain wasn't catching all the fluid. So it was building up above my stomach and I guess pressing on my diaphragm. And it was, it was wildly uncomfortable. I mean, it was one of the worst nights of my life. So they um, set up a quick surgery where they sort of put the stent in my stomach 
where it would drain that fluid basically just into my digestive system. And it was immediate relief. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Um, despite having to go through another, another small procedure. And I, I had that for about four weeks, um, you know, while I healed. So, um, in the meantime, you know, I've met now a meeting with the, um, my chemo doctor and starting to get prepared for that. And, um, cause I was going to start, I think at the beginning of April, uh, they just wanted to make sure I had sort of gotten through the hard part of the surgical recovery. And again, I did, I did actually quite well. I, I, I guess my health actually, um, contributed to that. And, um, you know, now we're at the next phase though, which is, you know, stressful. You've, you know, we hear the stories of chemo, you know, we've seen the portrayals of it and it's just, it's, uh, you know, kind of frightening, but you knew it was, it was going to be part of the process. And this was the aspect of hoping that it hadn't metastasized or how we were going to do it. You know, the, the doctor unfortunately told me, because once we find pancreatic cancer, we assume it is, it has been spreading, has always been spreading. So, um, we, I was going to start on the, um, the fulferinox and it's a, it's a pretty hard drug cocktail. And, um, they had me scheduled, I think for three at first, uh, you know, I know I was supposed to do 12 rounds. It was three and, um, with that, they said, there's a good point chance we'll probably do radiation too. This was, had not been confirmed, but that for some reason also raised this alarm in the back of my head as like, oh, radiation, you know, and, um, I also had a friend who was dead set against radiation. So we're planted the seed of don't do radiation, which then led, of course, to a lot of research, which my wife does because she's worrying. Um, and she's looking at these models where Europe doesn't use it a lot. Mm-hmm. The United States still does. And then you're stuck with this conundrum of well, what do you do? I don't have to do it yet, but it's this sort of anxiety building, you know. So, but I start chemo. Um, and it's, uh, you know, first round isn't, it, it's hard, but it's not that bad. You kind of think, hey, if it's like this, I should be able to handle this quite well, but it is cumulative. Um, the, um, the cold sensitivity certainly is, a, is an odd um, side effect um, that you don't really have much say so in. It doesn't, just because you don't perceive it as cold doesn't mean your body doesn't. Um, so that was something to get used to and you start sort of finding the precautions with things you touch. Certainly you drink, everything had to be, you know, room temperature. I had one time where a beverage was too cold and it felt like my throat was seizing up and that's a, a very alarming feeling. And um, uh, now there are some stories where that actually, even though it's, well, it's not quite psychological. It's not like you're really seizing up, but it creates a, a lot of panic. Um, yeah. My colleagues told me about a person who had ended up right back in the ER after leaving therapy during um, a cold day. And before we made it to the car, a parking lot, the cold air coming in was, so I was like, oh, so this is, this can be serious. Um, so uh, the, you know, the, the, the chemo is, is, is terrible. I mean, it's it's terrible. I and I actually tolerated it quite well, but the the nausea is is um was probably my my biggest offender. Um but oddly 
for me, the thing it ruined was was water. And you, you have to have water. You're trying so hard to stay hydrated during this. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult. And my nausea was sort of this terrible filmy aspect in my mouth that when I drank water, just seemed to exacerbate it. Mm. And so <clears throat> my wife went and bought every kind of water, fizzy water, flavored water, water additives, uh, mineral water, um, Gatorade, anything that I could find that how it might appeal to me that day, mm. you know? So sometimes I drink something and be like, nope, um, and just move on to something else. But this was a pretty good remedy. Um, <clears throat> so I started trying to find like these little chemo hacks. I had nurses that gave me wonderful information that made a big difference. Um, I was very fortunate. I, I never, <clears throat> I never vomited. I never um, had severe diarrhea, um, which probably I think really had more to do with being dehydrated most of the time. Um, but I was very fortunate I didn't have any additional discomfort like that that came with it. Um, you know, and as I progressed, you know, the you know, there's the fatigue, um, weight loss did happen. I, I did I did my very best to try to eat. Um, and I would try to find these sort of comfort foods that I knew I could go to that were nutritious um, and, you know, sort of sustaining where my doctor's basically like, please try to eat. Uh, I'm not a very big guy. I'm um, uh, naturally I'm a small stature. And so uh, it was it was very important to them to try to maintain that. So at worst, I only lost about 20 pounds. Um, which um, wasn't terrible, but to look at myself in the mirror, looked like I was, a, a, you know, my 15-year-old self. Um, <laughs> it was a little disheartening at, at times. Um, but I, uh, I managed to stay, started to find my own, um, I said, sort of perspectives to, to, to fight, you know, this kind of persistent, terrible feeling, you know, and I, you know, we had this term silver lining, you know, and I started kind of using that as a mantra. I was like, where in there is this the silver lining? Like if something didn't seem to work out, there might've been a reason for it. And it, it kind of, I tried, did my best to reframe all that I was dealing with. I said, get, kept trying to sort of find, the, uh, put a positive spin on it. Because again, I think that the mind is a useful tool in this. So, um, as chemo progressed, it gets a little worse, you know, and I had some that were worse than others, like number four and number eight just really, really kicked my, really kicked my butt. Um, I don't know what about them was so bad, but they were very, very, very challenging. <clears throat> so Dave, I just have a question yeah, here. Please. You mentioned three rounds was yes. the initial intention. So did they say, all right, let's get to three. Let's see how you do. Or did they come out of the gate and say, hey, we said three, but we're actually going to do 12 or eight or whatever that number was? Yeah, this is, I'm glad you asked us. This is probably a good way to step back. So it was three and that was odd to me. I didn't realize how severe this was because I had an out, I, I was thinking, I didn't, you know, of course you kind of, everyone responds the way I do, which I was, is not the case. And yeah. I had people who couldn't even do the first round. They put Correct. them in the ER and I was like, oh, this is serious. So I, I made it through the three rounds. They're like, you're doing quite well. So yeah. let's let's go to six. And that was then now 
my pathology had been coming back. And they thought, okay, we'll do six, and then we'll, we'll give you a break. We'll start radiation, and then we'll, do, we'll follow up with the six later in the year. Well, now my, my anxiety definitely goes up because radiation is on the table. I was like, oh, we're going to do radiation. And yeah. they were like, yes, um, the pathology has come back. We, so on the slide where they took the tissue, there was one tendril that went out to the edge of the slide. And so they're like, we don't know where this ends. Does it end here? Did it end where we took put the staples when we go to do the surgery, or did it go a little beyond that? And because of that, you, know, you err on the side of caution, and they gave me a positive margin. So the idea was, hey, we're still treating you systemically, and then we'll do radiation to hit that area, kind of kind of scar the the yeah. uh, surgical area, and hopefully kill any cells. Kill all the cells, there. yeah. So. So in the meantime, now I, I do meet with the radiation oncologist and um, it was very, like I said, it was a very clinical talk. And I'll be honest, I, I, didn't, I didn't leave there feeling very confident because it was very matter of fact. Because um, I, again, I came with all these questions and I don't really have to do this. Why does Europe not do it? Why, you know, how are you determining this, you know, and um and, and my oncologist, who I said, I really like him, but he admitted, because, because I am very clinical, he's like, I will be talking with my colleagues over at Big Duke. And he goes, and if you'd like, I can set up a consult for them. A lot of them are, are way more academic because I handle all the radiation here for all the patients. Mm. He goes, there's some there that specialize in this. And so if, if you'd like, I can set that up. It's like, I would, I would like that. So, um, and he did, he followed through. I had a meeting with um, one of the academic oncologists out there. And so we drove out and meeting with her, um, she was she was very spirited and lightning. She pulled, rolls her stool up right from me and says, all right, let's have it. What, what are your questions? <laughs> and we went through all these things, things we had read. And so she was very, very blunt and just, um, you know, I, uh, answers the best you could, because again, this, this disease doesn't have all the history and focus yeah. that some of the others like cancer and colon have. And she, in some cases, it was like, we just don't have enough evidence to show that it's worth this with a little bit. There was a study at Johns Hopkins. She goes, when we find that we don't broaden it enough, we're not catching those cells and we're not getting great outcomes. And you know, that's that's a, a scary to think of, you know, because I was even trying to say, you know, can we do the I think it's called SBRT, which is highly focused. Yeah. They wanted to hit essentially my whole midsection. Yeah. And I'm thinking, ah, you know, radiation is a is a useful tool, but it's also a tool that has its own repercussions, you know, it pros, also, and, pros yeah. and cons. Right. Like there's negatives. Right. So, and, that, and that's I think. With all of this, though, but just so fascinating, though, this listening to your story, though, I got to ask the question, and I don't mean to jump in here, but I, I, I'm Please. curious, what do you do for work? I am I am a, a medical illustrator. That's my bread and butter. Um, I do some other side stuff, and that's that's what pays my bills. So um, it's kind of funny because when I've talked to doctors, they always wanted to go draw something, and like, this is going to be an insult to you. I was like... It's <laughs> so, um, so uh, you, you get it, but then also illustrator though, like you're, you're into the details, I the am. details guy. I very so, much so then like, that's, that's probably, that was probably really important in this journey though, to have those details. And also you mentioned something like 
to, to feel comfortable. And, and when that doctor, that first doctor, I wrote this down, said, hey, like you could be cured. It was like you mentioned, it was like that total mind shift change. Sure. So you have that mind shift and like you're in that zone, right? And this is a compliment. I don't know. If, like I know for me, like when I get into zones, like I can focus, I can get work done. And I'm sure for your work, like you get into those zones. So like the way you're treating this disease and, and fighting this, like you get into that zone and now you're in that zone. And then like these guys are like, well, you got to do like six rounds of chemo. And you're like, no, 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 no. That's not part of the original mindset here. So it's like this right. adjustment, right? So my other question though is how old were you at this time? I mean, I know this was fairly recent last two years. So what age at diagnosis in 2021? So young. Yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly. Yeah, no, that's young, man. You know, I mean, people say, oh, uh, you know, this is an old person's disease. And I've talked to many doctors and they're like, yeah, like anything under 60 is really, really odd. Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. There's a lot of young people getting this thing. Certainly. And it's, um, you know, it's a concern because I now being a survivor, I'm, you know, available to many more stories. And I keep going, this is a very young person. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, younger than me, even where I was like, this seems to suggest something. I mean, even my my childhood best friend, I mean, we're talking about like a decade of almost being inseparable, was diagnosed nine days after me. And he um, he had a similar thing where he kept telling his doctor there is something wrong. And the doctor really just didn't pay attention. And eventually they got to where they started a, a, a larger workup and. You know, they, they found, um, you know, his his tumor and unfortunately it was it gone a little too far. He's, he's stage four now, um, but he's, he's doing quite well. We stay in touch. And just so this a- was so this is not the childhood, your best friend's mom who passed no, away. From my that. friend, you know, which makes us wonder, was there something in our own environment in the area? Wow. Um, again, just when you deal with this, your mind starts kind of going like, why? Why are we seeing more of this? Why are we seeing yeah. it in younger people? Is it? Is it in our food? Is it in, you know, something in the environment? I, you know, we don't have an exact answer, but it's it's certainly alarming. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, doing this 13 years, I, I mean, I, I personally have come to the conclusion that we all have cancer in our bodies. Sure. I mean, if you want to, you know, call me crazy, then go ahead. But no, I think we you. all we all have cancer cells. Um, it's just a matter of, I think why do certain people get cancers, right? And so these cells are in everyone's body. It's part of our genetic makeup. Um, Some people are naturally exposed to certain things that cause reactions in the body, Um, whether it's, you know, there's a lot. I mean, this is a a rabbit hole. We can go down like really, really far. Uh, but, but clearly the, the, the basic is like, we don't know. Right. And we also, but, but there's a lot of things we do know genetics right like so and we'll, we'll get there and I, I do want to get back to you know the the radiation and self-advocating and where we go from there but you know just on this point like there are some things we do know but there's a lot that we don't know um but that's the, the good news is there's so much happening in this space like just in the last three months there's been some of these major studies you know as we record this last week there was this vaccine trial at memorial right. Sun kettering you know, and, and they've been working on that for a while for all cancers. But I think, you know, clearly the pandemic has kind of slingshot some of that outside the box thinking 
you know, with some of these medications and drugs and delivery of these drugs and how they get delivered. And, you know, that, that, that's been really exciting. So there's a lot of great stuff happening. We just need more of it, right? Like this space deserves like, you know, we're, we're like that, that baseball team or the football team, whatever analogy you want to use, we get to the Super Bowl or world series every year. We've been losing like in that last inning, the last minute, like the 10 consecutive years, like we are just like, we just can't seem to get over that edge and, and win the big game or get the big development, you know? And, and that's where, you know, awareness and, and sharing stories like yours really matter. Because as I said, like most people go, ah, oh, it's an old person disease, 48, man, you get the rest of your life. You got 50 more years, you know, yeah. this is, this is a young person, you know, with a, with this disease. Um, so, you know, it's important to share these stories. So, I want to go back now. You meet with this person, this this radiation specialist, and you kind of go down this path of, you know, is radiation suitable? So where do we go from there? Yeah. So she um like I said, she was she was fantastic. I mean, she just approached it with a, a type of enthusiasm. Um, one, I think because it's the focus of her work, but also what it was gonna to mean to me. And even though I wasn't excited about it by any means i was resolved to do radiation when we got through um chemo now back to sort of what what i've seen earlier maybe like a little silver lining she then followed up with she's like look she's you're doing well with with uh chemo i she goes i'm a i'm a chapter at a time person kind of talking about that focus you're like if you're doing well let's we usually do this break or this sandwich therapy for people who can't tolerate the chemo. You're doing okay. I say, let's continue. Um, this buys you uh, more time so that you can kind of get your head around it. Also, she goes, we do see better outcomes with the longer your, your pancreas can heal and become healthy, the better sort of resistance it has to radiation. Because I was concerned of like, wow, we, we saved my, the, you know, the third of my pancreas um, and if I mentioned, we was, was very fortunate. I was able to go distally. Um, the doctor went and said, I think we can do distally, but I'm prepared to do Whipple if we need to. Cause again, mom's sitting right at the neck. And so we were able to take the tail and of course the spleen. And, um, but I was concerned of like, are we going to then go into radiation and kill the rest of my, my pancreas with treatment? And, you know, it, it is a possibility, but, uh, you know, it's kind of summed up. She goes, you can you know, sort of look at as you gain the years now and, and worry about a secondary tumor or something later down the line, or you can just take a risk and you could possibly give it all up now. And I was like, it's a reasonable way to frame it. And so I was, I was resolved to do um, the chemo, but again, I also then started thinking like, well, guess what? Now I get to postpone radiation. And I was to go back to the chemo, this, this cold sensitivity, and neuropathy that comes with the fulfernox. Um, I was like, I won't have to do this during the cold months later in the year. So I just, it's not a great, you know, you know, but it, but it helped. I was like, hey, this this is this is in my favor. So it, it helped again my mindset kind of stay like, see things aren't are going terribly. So um, you know, I continued with with the, the chemo, the side effects were getting worse, like the neuropathy in my hands and feet were getting fairly bad. Um, I also was getting concerned because I am an artist, you know, I need my hands. It wasn't so bad that I couldn't work, but 
as it got worse, I, I kept wondering, like, oh, I might end up with some sort of disability. You know, especially they told me, um, you know, particularly with the neuropathy, it gets worse before it gets better. It overshoots the therapy. Um, but, you know, we tried little things like uh, someone bought me one of those uh, wax paraffin spa things. So I would soak mm-hmm. my hands. I mean, it just seemed to really help. I mean, it was a, it was a bit of relief, um, made my hands feel better. Um, and so I did that really frequently. Um, but um, back to sort of dealing with the chemo, because, again, I'm starting to feel bad. I, you know, I realize I can't work out anymore. Um, at least not the vigorous 30 to 45 minute workouts, but I, uh, I'm a movement guy, you know, so I would, there are times where I, you know, might do, try to do 10 push-ups, you know, or a few body squats. Um, you know, I got to where I would take a walk every evening and I would take water with me because it was an easy way to get some hydration in me and feel something about movement always made me feel alive. And Probably even more key to that, as I mentioned while we were talking prior to reporting, is I'm a big gardener. I've transformed my entire property into a ornamental stroll garden, and I have a little over an acre. And this garden means the world to me. And uh, it's sometimes cliche if you're like, ah, oh, get into gardening or something. Well, I already was. So it was the perfect distraction for me because. Again, when I first was diagnosed and got through, I was like, oh, my garden's going to go to pot this year. But I was like, yeah, it's okay. It's a garden. There are plants. It's beautiful. But I found that going out into the garden um, was 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 one of the best therapies I had, you know, because I would go out for you know usually a few hours. A lot of times my intention was to maybe just walk around and enjoy what I'd created, you know, but I, my wife picks me up. She's like, you can't sit still. So I... <laughs> oftentimes got distracted and I started kind of piddling and, you know, I might dig something or move something. And then I realized we just moved three 20 pound bags of, of dirt, you know, or you took gravel because I always had landscape supplies around yeah. or you just moved a rock over there. So all this was making me feel, you know, alive, you know, and it's kind of hokey. I know, but I, I talked to the plants, you know, and I would look at them and started you know, these sometimes these narratives though, like, what am I to complain about? You deal with this all the time, pests and weather, and you make it. And, you know, um, there's the, the pruning aspects. It kind of felt like at times I was being pruned away, but then you remember pruning is also a stimulus, you know, and it you know creates growth. And you know, I lost this one evergreen I had grown for years, and I was, you know, I would sort of draw these analogies and um, it sounds a little silly, but it just sort of helped my mindset. And I was like, if you can do it, I can do it. And I started to realize all the years I took care of you, I, this was a time I actually felt like the garden was taking care of me. And so I would I would do this almost daily. I would go out and I'd find a few hours. All of a sudden, it was like I wasn't sick. You know, I forgot about how bad I felt. The nausea didn't seem to bother me. Um, I, um, you know, I just felt like I was I was winning. And um, this was, uh, like I said, it was very tremendous in my recovery. Um, so I do this. Um, we talked earlier to, I um, would like to sort of say part of my, my garden experience also was, um, I called it almost like 4G therapy. So it was garden, ganja, gum, and Gatorade. So I'd go out. Um, I smoked a fair amount of pot in college, but um, 
it kind of started to, to wane off. It wasn't that big a thing. But when I got sick, some friends did hook me up with um, some marijuana supplies. And I always thought the approach to medical marijuana was sort of silly. I'm not poo-pooing it, but I was like, people, people want to do what they want to do. Yeah. Well, having been sick, it, it's medicine. It helped stimulate my appetite. It reduced my nausea. Sometimes I let my mind wander from not feeling so bad. So again, I would usually go out in the garden. I catch a little buzz, if you will. I usually chew gum because it would kind of keep the that nausea in my mouth out. Mm-hmm. And Gatorade to stay hydrated added a little flavor too. And again, for usually several hours a day, um, I I was not I was not afflicted with cancer, at least not overtly. So you know, I do my blood work prior to um, my my chemo appointments, and she herself is a cancer survivor. She was actually fighting cancer during the time um, as well. She was a huge inspiration. She was always very candid with me, and even though I had had this consult with the um, oncologist out at, at Duke campus, I brought it up with her one day when we were doing the blood work, and she said, you do whatever it takes to beat this terrible disease so that you can go on living the life and being with the people that matter to you. And I just, I took that to heart and it kind of helped solidify my, my sort of courage with radiation. Now with me, the radiation took a, another spin because uh, fortunately um, my, my wife's company paid to have my results read by a pathologist at Sloan Kettering. And uh, this is again, part of the industriousness of my wife, because she also reached out to a pathologist at the Mayo Clinic after reading an article in paper. And he um, also was willing to read my results. And what I did get was a congruent path of, of, of treating this. And they all agreed they keep up with the chemo. They all agreed radiation was necessary. But uh, the, patholo- the pathologist from Sloan Kettering, um, he's kind of a big wig. Even my oncologist was like, oh, that guy is, is big in this. He's making, he's writing lots of papers. He's doing mm-hmm. some really neat work. When he read my initial uh, treatment from Duke, he said, this is not adequate. He's like, I would recommend. And said, so they want to treat radiation with 50 grays, I think is the the unit they GY. Mm-hmm. He said, this is not adequate. He goes, this is, you get one shot at this because you know, I've received my lifetime dose. He's like, he suggested 62.5, which led to quite a conversation at Duke, my oncologist. He goes, man, we had a number of debates about this and it wasn't something they were particularly comfortable with. Uh, he goes, we typically do 50. He goes, a few rare cases we've done 55, usually to kind of alleviate some people, unfortunately, closer to end stage. Mm-hmm. But like it is your call, and I will speak with him. And so, um, but again, we're like, I was terrified, Rach. Now we're going to up the dose, essentially. And but again, I was at the point now. I was like, I had this thing. You do whatever it takes to beat this. So my wife was proud for having found this, but now she's also worried about such a high dose. And I said, Look, we don't have the answer. I mean, we're taking a risk here anyway. We could take the risk of not doing enough, maybe doing too much. I said, I'm, I'm resolved now. Let's, let's do the, the dose, the high mm-hmm. dose. And um, Duke agreed, although they've never hadn't done this. 
And um, to some degree, I think I was, I'm a little bit on their radar to kind of see what what is how I'm doing. And so far, I'm doing well. But we um, we set this up so that that high intensity would be right at the margin um, where the surgery is at, but they would reduce it going out. So they still got my whole midsection. And so this is this is what we did. And, um, you know, radiation is more, I think, a psychological discomfort because I it's so deep. You know, I didn't really deal with a lot of burning. I had a, mm. a little bit on the skin surface, but it's not particularly like a physical pain. But it was each day I went, it was this terrifying aspect of I'm being blasted with this invisible, you know, death ray, <laughs> if you will. And um, but the, the team there was great. I, I got through five weeks of that. Um, so, team, so David, the, the treatment though, so you go with the higher treatment. So it's five weeks. It's every day. Like was it Monday through Friday? You take, Monday the, through weekends, Friday. You take yes. the weekends off, but five weeks consecutive, like you're not yes. missing a beat. No. So 25 days with weekends mm-hmm. off of high intense. I mean, and for our audience listening, anyone who's ever gone through it, it's, it's not like you're in there for two hours. It's no. what the treatments last, uh, five to 10 five, minutes. Yeah. Five to know? 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. But this is like high intensity though. That's the other thing. And like, to your point, it's not like your skin's burning off or anything like that, but you do know that you're getting zapped pretty heavily, um, which I don't know if this occurred for you, but I know with sometimes with patients, you know, this prolonged exposure over time does catch up a bit. Sure. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. I still worry about it. Like when, when is the day that like we see something else that is not necessarily related to the initial pancreatic cancer? Is it a secondary tumor? Yeah. You know, but but I have now, and that's what I'm enjoying. Um, I try not to worry about it too much. Um, I was talking about the radiation though. So like in terms of like side effects, like that yeah. prolonged, like similar to the chemo, it's like this cumulative approach. Yes. So like that first week of radiation. Boom, we get through it. But over those five weeks, it gets harder and harder. Did you experience yes. like, you know, stronger fatigue in week four and week five or any discomfort? Yeah, it was definitely fatigue was probably the big thing for me. Um, yeah. And again, um, as much as I kept wanting to get back to recovery and normal, it was hard. So it was, you know, I kept up the things like the walks and stuff that yeah. felt like <clears throat> a reasonable amount of exercise and sort of gave me that sort of lively feeling, but there was, it was, I was pretty drained. Um, but I still also, we get out in the gardens again, it was enough to kind of take my mind off of it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sort of push through. Um, but it was, it was, um, that went pretty tough. And I, again, had moments each time while I was in the waiting room of just oh my, you know, it was in my head that the anxiety would just sort of, yeah around because i'm like when is it when is it too much you know when do we cross the threshold and and i just got to where i do feel like in this despite how positive you're going to have dark moments and i think you should feel them you know it's you can't i don't know that you can't ignore it or if it even be healthy to ignore it it's just my thing was just don't hold on to it you know yeah um so when you feel it, you have something even if it's a physical aspect which then leads to you ruminating about it it's like i just sort of Go ahead and have it and then try to go back about, about business. But um fortunately, um the it was they also with the radiation they gave me, I think it's a loda, yep. maybe. Yep. Surprisingly, that was a very 
that was a pretty tough um, chemo. You know, the idea was that it sensitizes the tumor area to receive the radiation, but because that was daily, that caught up to me pretty quick. It knocked my immune system way down. That's Um, the oral Yes. No, correct. Yeah. yeah. So you're taking that orally along with yeah, so that had its own kind of different kind of nausea. Um, yeah. but when they did my blood work and they're like, we, we actually, they took me off of it towards the end. They're like, you've done enough. I think we're, we're doing well. Yeah. Um, cause they were like, you really need to, again, we're at the height of COVID. So it's like, please don't go be around anybody. Yeah. Help it. And I was able to, again, my employer was great. Um, I, I worked at home, you know, exclusively, um, and um so that was not such an issue i could i could very easily stay kind of protected so i yeah i got through the radiation ended around the end of november i had my next ct december 9th and uh you can imagine the anxiety and the anticipation sitting there and we went through it they bring up the scan and like we don't see anything you know and they declared me cancer free and that was (laughs) that was a huge day (laughs) and it just felt like I mean, the, the weight came off, you know, I was just, it was such a, a wonderful feeling um, that, I mean, I'll never quite be able to describe it. I, it's just, it was, it was very uh, uplifting. Um, so if I look at the timeline here, I've been taking these notes. So yeah. you have like this endoscopy 21, uh, 11821 you get the diagnosis and then December 9th you have that final scan of 21 and that scan you know so and you know everything in between here so in in a year you know you go from the distal to you know okay you're going to do three rounds six rounds becomes 12 rounds then the chemo uh the uh the radiation and then the oral so you go through all this and in one year you get the kids free diagnosis that it's gone but then also let's back up a bit yeah. this is during that covid year where like yeah. hey you're doing all this by yourself and that and that's just crazy because like i know we've talked about this at length on the podcast with various guests and just you i know you mentioned it and you know i we were saying before like i was just at duke about six weeks ago and yeah. so when you said like hey your wife just let you off i can vi- envision the lobby you know being there like you just walking in by yourself, waving to your wife, like so. It's just so powerful, is my point here, David. Because like I, I know, you know, the pandemic impacted everyone, and I don't know if we'll ever really understand the general public and and our community, like how people who battle this disease how it impacted them. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy. And and it's something that was not too long ago, but in a way seems like it was so far, like, you know, before, right? Like, it feels like it was like 20, 30 years ago. I know people don't want to talk about it. Like, you know, like it's, it's so crazy. Right. But like, we, we, we've got to talk about this. This is, this is, yeah. and, 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 and the way we got to talk about it is like, just imagine like what you went through from that mental roller coaster, not even your wife, but you as that patient going in and just waving goodbye. And like, it's just, it's just crazy. So it's just so powerful to hear and just amazing, you know, your, your journey here. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I got a couple of questions here for you. Um, when, and maybe you'll get this as an illustrator. When I do these interviews, I have this like, 
these notes. And I took two pages of notes here. Okay. This happens a lot. I, I've kind of done a picture here of your journey. So do you look, have you looked back at all? Like the gardening piece was like, I got chills, man. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up, man. Cause so I want to talk about that here for a second. Sure. And, and then you talk about, you know, illustrator and, you know, your job and your profession here and, you know, into the details. Do you ever look back and like your experiences and the things you've, you've done, where you've been, what you do kind of prepare you for the journey? That's actually an interesting perspective. And, you know, to give it some quick thought, I, I, in some ways, yes. You know, um, you know, back to what you were saying a little bit ago about the focus, like when I do sort of, it's like a mindset that you get into and you figure out the little things because you want this best, you want the best result. I mean, it's part of what I do professionally because my work goes out and it's going to be judged. Mm -hmm. um, and my garden, even though it's my refuge, is still a, it's a reflection of me. And I do, you know, I do some tours and open it up to people at times. And I wanted to have this, you know, there's a refinement to it that I would like to be that I can accept the imperfections because I, I realize life is not perfect. But there is a type of focus, and I want to have all those details uh, addressed, as well as there's a lot of problem solving that comes with that. It's about you gather all the right information so that you can make the best decision because you're going to have to make a decision. Um, it, you know, uh, even though I'm very thankful for you, all the people that are a part of this journey, and, and you should definitely maximize them. But ultimately, it's just your fight. It's, it was my fight, you know regardless of any opinions or whatnot, I had to eventually come down to the decision. And so generally I wanted to sort of gather all in front of me, assess it all and try to make the, get the best outcome. And so I would say that was, you know, it's a very meaningful question. You know, I hadn't really thought of it that way until you sort of handed it to me that way. Um, and it's funny because I, you know, I, I journal also, so I have all this document and I almost makes you want to go back and read this year now to see sort of what was, was kind of pouring out. Um, um, because I, I, even that, I just wanted to, you know, wanted to have, like I said, all the right pieces if I could, you know, knowing that it wasn't, wasn't guaranteed, but it was likely to give me um, what I was seeking. It's a hard question. That's a loaded question. Uh, sure. You know, I, I wasn't prepared for that. That's all right. That's all right. But you know, again, like being on this side and and having done this as long as I have, um, you know, this is something that I could have never imagined. Like when I had this idea of starting a podcast, but to be able to see this thing from my perspective, and maybe I'm just that crazy and no one else is here and no one else understands what I'm saying on the other side, but it's just fascinating to me, man, because like you talk about your garden and, and the peace and the tranquility and the, and the relation of the, the plants. Like you said, hey, you were taking care of the plants and then now they're taking care of you through this journey and how that, and I, I go back to this mental piece, right? Because I We've, we've talked a bit about this, like the mental part of this fighting cancer, 
I am convinced, and there's studies out there on this, like having a positive mental attitude, exercising. Mm-hmm. And when, I, when we say exercise, like you said, it was like just being active, going out to the garden. That was exercise. It's not like, hey, you're pumping iron for 30 minutes, no. you know, to Arnold or whatever, or doing CrossFit or running marathons. No, no. We're talking about just being active versus being sedentary, just sitting on a couch or sitting in a chair. And then you talk about you know, your life, your, your work's profession, your life's profession, you know, and, and, and how your mind thinks and, and, and these just little things in life that at the time when these happen, we don't think that these are big issues, but there's a saying like, right, like our subconscious mind drives our conscious mind and 99% of our decisions are made by the subconscious. Like why do people put on their right leg first with their pants versus their left leg? Right. So, but if we have these subconscious things in our mind, like in our brain working for us already, like getting this diagnosis, nothing changes, right? Like that subconscious mind kind of takes over because we've been doing this this way. And to me, that's really, really a little freaky and fascinating because like I'm with you. those things have already been, we've been doing those things. And then this thing comes along, we're on this journey and it's just like, it's like plug and play. And mm-hmm. those are the differences between being here and being here, you know? And, and so I'm just fascinated by it. And it's just something that I, I guess I see, and maybe I'm just a little crazy and I'm out there and no one gets what I'm saying, but uh, it's just kind of food for thought here. Another, oh, no, I'm with you. You, you, you understand it here. And another thing that I came up with here, and this just recent came to my mind, and then I wrote it down here and something else that I just read recently, but go back to, you guys consult with this doctor from MSK on this radiation piece, and he says 62.5 is where you got to be. Duke is saying 50. Have you ever thought of it that that's like a clinical trial? Like they've never done this. So, right. And where I'm going with this is like, I just mentioned this vaccine trial that came out. Those 16 people are putting their life on the line for everyone else in this community. You decide, like, hey, you know, everyone there is saying, hey, man, 55 is the max we've gone. It's kind of like Top Gun analogy, you know. Tom Cruise is trying to do Mach ten, and then he pushes he pushes it to Mach ten point two. Right, blows apart. He loses consciousness. But here you are saying, "Hey, let's go to sixty two six six two five, you know. And but Duke saying, "Hey, we've never done that before." So have you ever thought, like, you know, I mean, and now you, you did mention, you know, they're studying, you know, making sure they they want to see. So like. You're taking one for humanity, I guess, in that, David. Again, I hadn't really thought of it that way because, again, it was all it was a self-interest. I, I'm just trying to live. Yeah, I hadn't really thought that in some ways, inadvertently, I, I was giving back. This may be, this might maybe help revolutionize some treatment. I'm sure it might be specific to people and where they are in their health. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't really posed it as like it was like a clinical trial. I was willing to take this risk despite even some of the warnings from my actual doctor. Um, you know, at this point, I, I don't know what lies on the road, but I am glad I did because I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm thriving out and enjoying all the things around me. And I'm now hearing this, maybe it might make a difference for somebody else, you know, which is 
the one thing I've kind of hoped I could do out of this, um, I'm very thankful for the, all the specialists out there, but you know, you realize when you go through this, all the, all the little small contributions from, you know, your friends, you know, um, you know, family, I said that the nurses were, were champs, you know, so, um, on that level, so from maybe a technology standpoint, yeah, I, I took one with the radiation to go, Hey, this might help someone else. And so, um, it's, uh, it's nice, nice to hear. I'm glad you put it that way to me. It's pretty so. special stuff. I got two questions left here for you. Um, sure. I wrote something down before, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, but you know, you, you've become kind of like the ultimate self-advocate. Um, in your journey, as as I would kind of sum this up, if someone said, "Hey, two words," what you know, what was David's journey about? It's like ultimate self advocate because you think about you know constantly asking questions, that mental mindset. What advice would you give someone listening to this that just got diagnosed? Like for, and I know that's like a really loaded question, and it could be, uh, you know, a couple pieces here. But you know, if you had to pick a couple pieces, even that. Um, you know, what would you say to someone, you know, in terms of given your experience, what you went through personally, um, how would you answer that question? You know, someone just diagnosed, what advice would you give them? Um, one thing I will say is, as we mentioned, it is personally, it's your fight, but I was very resistant to all the help that people wanted to give me. Um, cause I was like, nah, I got this and it, it's only, it's me. Take advantage of whatever anyone wants to do for you because it's going to make a difference. And they all do it in their own way. It's not, there's the people that are very hyper vigilant and do these, but sometimes these little small things. And I had to kind of learn to accept that because the first couple of months I was, I was fighting. It's like, no, don't bother them with that. I don't want to, you know, I got this and it's just me. Well, the thing is, it, it is just me, but it affects everyone around me you know, that is, is in any way sort of close. Um, so I would say certainly take full advantage of that, um, you know, and, and but at the same time, don't use it as a yardstick to measure people because you can be wildly disappointed and that would be unfortunate. But, but certainly take advantage of those around you. The other thing I've told people, because I've had a few people reach out to me through my Instagram account that I didn't anticipate, um, is, <clears throat> like I said, I, you, you're going to feel terrible. It, it's just, I don't think there's any way around it. Even if you do well, you're going to feel terrible. So I say find those distractions that work for you, whether it's times with friends, because even despite COVID, we made it work. We had little driveway get togethers. Um, you know, um, my garden, like I said, it was huge for me. Um, just, it doesn't have to be that. Like if you have a hobby, I would say lean into it. You know, because these are things that are going to take your mind away so that you're not focusing on sort of just kind of how bad you feel. Um, you know, like I said, I'm also an artist. I went and bought all these art supplies thinking because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to barely get out of a chair. You know, I'm going to feel terrible. And again, it would have been a fine escape. And I did do plenty of that while I was sick. But to me, it was the movement. I found it very, very gratifying and, and helpful. But point is, is it was like, I constantly was like, I need a distraction. Even my work, my, my employer backed off big time and was like, hey, they're almost tiptoeing around me. He's like, no, give me the work. 
I mean, I did this whole series of illustrations that was probably one of some of my best work because I was like, don't, I need this because it gives me something to do. It's a purpose versus me sitting in my chair going, I don't feel so great today or the nausea is killing me or my hands hurt. Well, you know, I didn't really notice my hands hurting when I was busy doing my work, you know? So I'd say, like I said, find the distractions, whatever it is, whatever's meaningful for, for you. Um, those are going to carry you through because you can't, you can't will the disease away, but you can kind of will yourself through it. Um, and those are, those are, you know, powerful tools. I think, you know, it helps your mental mindset. Um, it's powerful. Last question here, and then we're going to give our audience an opportunity where they can connect with you. But last question, I always uh, preface this by saying it's a loaded question. There's no right or wrong. Sure. Given your experience, how do you define pancreatic cancer? Your definition of it. I mean, uh, immediately, because even when I write posts, I'm like, this is a, is a, it's just a dreadful disease. Just to hear it, um, cancer in general always evokes, you know, really, really heavy, sad feelings. Um, and then this one in particular, because it has such a terrible reputation, you know, um, seems to, it just seems weightier. And I don't want to, because I don't want to discount the other ones. It just, it just, it sounds, it sounds like a death sentence, mm-hmm. you know, um, that was my initial reaction when I got it. And so I still see it that way because there's I'm still, like I said, available to too many sad stories. You know, um, even when I'm at Purple Stride, it's nice to be a survivor, but I'm getting all the stories of people who didn't make it or family members that didn't. And that's, it's a, it's, it's hard to hear. And, um, so ultimately it's just this triple disease, but at the same time, I feel like if, if we can catch it, which hopefully we we're doing with some of the innovations that are going on. Um, I wish it was more standard care that we did scans for this because it's, it's not something that just always pops up. We don't have a lot of symptoms. It's, um, it'd be nice to, to change that because, because until then it's going to stay this dreadful disease. Thank you for your story and being able to uh, share your story. And I can say this, the more and more that we have these conversations, the more and more that we bring stories like yours, a young guy getting this disease, people not ignoring signs and symptoms, doctors advocating more and more for patients, um, you know, someone who comes in who's young and, you know, has abdominal pain or has these issues, you know, we're going to change this thing because there's a lot of people in this space. There's a lot happening, as we've mentioned a couple of times here, you know, just within the science, you know, but this awareness piece is just so critical. So sharing your stories, hearing, you know, your journey is so powerful. So thank you for, uh, for, for being a guest here on the podcast, David, someone listening, you know, maybe they're going through it. Uh, maybe they have someone in their family, Maybe they just want to kind of follow your journey, maybe learn about gardening, illustration, whatever you post, yeah. uh, or, or wherever you are. Where's the best place for our audience, uh, for someone to connect with you? Um, well, I, again, I don't do a lot of social media other than Instagram. I always found it to be a fairly light and playful playground. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, usually isn't too heavily burdened. So 
Um, I have two handles. My main one is D underscore A underscore Sabio. That's S-A-B as in boy, I-O. That's my main account, which is mainly mainly the garden, a little bit of my illustration and, and some cat stuff, but mainly the garden. Um, and sometimes some inspirational stuff regarding my, you know, my journey with this, this uh, disease. Um, I have a second one, which is um, uh, D underscore A underscore uh, Savio Art, which I kind of do just my artwork there. Um, I don't feed that one as much, like since so the first one would be better. Um, but again, I'm open to questions. Like I said, I unexpectedly had a number of people reach out to me this past year by stumbling across um, my story. And I do my best to have been able to, I'd like to think I did, I counseled them fairly well. Um, and again, there's lots of little tricks, you know, you, you know, you've learned through this, through this process. Um, so anywhere I can give back, I'm more than happy to, um, whether it's actually direct contact and, and information, or if it's just to see the stuff I do and it's inspirational, you know, um, to see me continuing to do the things I love. I love it. I love it. I just went to your Instagram post here and I, I see like there's a lot of purple tonals of the flowers. So you're, you're, you're on the right path here. Uh, yes. David, I, I appreciate you coming on the Project Purple Pop podcast and sharing your journey. Um, it's an inspiration. And this is why we do what we do, why we get up every day that, you know, to continue to raise awareness and, and support families going through that journey. And uh, I make a promise here the next time I'm down in the Raleigh area, I want to tour the garden. I, I just love. Oh, uh, you should. I just love that. And uh, I, I just think it's so awesome, man. And uh, I appreciate your openness and honesty to share your journey. And and I know someone on the other side of this is listening and, and going to be inspired and, and hopefully help them through their cancer journey. All right. Well, you're welcome. And I uh, thank you for letting me tell my story. Um, you know, I, I, I don't bring it up a lot, you know, because it's not there's a part of me that wants to kind of put it behind me, but it's something I'm, I'm certainly not going to forget. It has certainly had a huge impact and changed my life. So and maybe I can help change someone else's for the better. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode. Make sure you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to follow us on YouTube. Till next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast.